one sat alone beside the highway begging his eyes were blind the light he could not see he clutched his old rags and shivered in the shadows then jesus came and bade his darkness flee it's time to open the word once again with evangelist lester roloff on the family altar program for all is changed when jesus comes to stay dear friend just as sure as my right hand plays toward heaven america is doomed if god hasn't changed his mind about liquor and i don't believe he has and the bible said the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget god and the bible said when a man begins to drink he forgets the law he forgets god this business of of uh, church members just stepping outside and lighting cigarettes on the way out of a church house and and that gives some sort of decency and respect to evil habits but it's not right and it never will be right and preachers ought not to put up with it our churches ought to be clean i believe a church ought to be just as clean as the delivery room in the hospital and that's the way the hospitals keep them you don't you don't find a lot of dirt and roaches and filth i mean it's clean that's where little babies are delivered i believe the church ought to be a delivery room i believe little babies ought to get born in the church don't believe they have to be in the church I've known some babies that didn't get born in the hospital or in the delivery room. I got born in our home. All of our children got born out in the country, 10 miles from the closest town and 35 miles from the closest hospital. But we got born. But dear friends, I believe that the church ought also to be a delivery room to deliver people from evil habits. People ought to go to church and get delivered. One man said to me, I went to church, one of our alcoholics said, I went to church and I started my last spree. I hadn't drunk any in, oh, from six months to two years, I think he told me. And he said, I, I drank wine at the Lord's table. And he said, I tell you that old wine put that taste in my mouth. I went outside that church and looked me up a, a wine joint and I started in again. I believe dear friends, Anything that's that bad ought not be served in the church house. Amen. Just give me the fruit of the vine, please. Amen. Just let me have it fresh. And I believe that God's people are going to be held accountable one of these days. Don't blame the liquor crowd. They haven't been born again. I've never known a man in the liquor business that got saved but what he got out of the liquor business. He got saved. But you know, the thing that sometimes scares me is that if they have not reached the place that Romans chapter 1 talks about, they're bordering on it, and that's the reprobate mind. And fellas, I want to warn you tonight, if you keep on going, and if you turn this message and this truth and these simple messages down, I'll promise you this, 
that according to the word of God, he reserves the right any split second to turn you over to a reprobate man. And that means you can live another 10 years, but you can't be saved. And you'll go straight to hell when you die. Not because we want you to, but you can't get God in your mind. You can't, you can't retain Jesus in your mind. And dear friends, that's what the devil is working for. And when he gets you to the place where he's got his reprobate mind in you, he, he doesn't have to worry about you anymore. Not anymore. I mean, you're through. I mean, you're already condemned and you're already sentenced and you're just waiting for the electrocution day. That's all. Just like a man sitting in death row. I mean, he's sitting in death row. There's nothing can be done. There's no way to commute his sentence. And I want to warn you tonight, I really do, that during these blessed days of opportunity, that all of young and old, you take advantage of what you hear in. And I'll tell you this, when you get to the place where you can refuse to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you either already have a reprobate mind or you're on your way. And I warn you and I exhort you in this service that you not reject Jesus Christ tonight. My Bible says, God shall not always, my spirit shall not always strive with man. And I believe they're living dead men. Living dead men. Alive in the flesh. You know the man on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho? The Bible said he was robbed. He was beaten. And left in the ditch. He's half dead. I believe most people are half dead. Or at least that much. Maybe more. Half dead. Of course I feel like a man that's just alive physically. But not spiritually. He's over half dead because there's no life apart. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now, I want to make a statement before I go into my message tonight. I'm going to speak on this subject that came to me yesterday at the room, and that is, what does it mean to be lost? Second, what does it mean to be saved? Third, and what does it mean to backslide, or to get away from that glorious experience when you came to Christ. I mean, is it just a cheap thing? Is it a little matter? What does it mean? But I want to preface my message by saying, I wonder if there's a man on earth that lives right now that knows the full extent of one man being lost. I mean, eternally lost. You think about eternity and time. Time is a brief thing. Life is like a tale that's told, a leaf that falls from the tree to the ground, and it's all over. Here today and gone tomorrow, knowing both of joy and sorrow. Brother, uh, I don't understand. I mean, my little finite mind has a hard time approaching infinity and even divinity unless the Holy Spirit tells me. Now, Sometimes we look at a man. I looked at one the other day that was a hundred and some odd years old. And uh, they seemed ancient, just ancient. I buried a person, a dear old lady, a hundred and four years old. She'd been living in over a century old. And everybody said, oh, grandmother, why isn't she old? And you talk about wrinkles. I'm telling you, I've never seen that many wrinkles. 
I mean, it was solid wrinkles all over her forehead, down her face. 104 years of time had been writing on her at every mark they could make. But dear friends, think of eternity, where it lived throughout eternity. No wrinkles, no slowing down, no playing out, no getting tired, and not even any going to bed. Think about it. Brother, let me tell you something. There won't be no easy chairs in heaven. Nobody will have to sit down and rest in heaven. And uh, there'll be no sickness. There'll be no hospitals and doctors. There'll be no operating rooms. I mean, eternity is just something that's hard. And you know what? Because a lot of people don't understand it, they refuse to believe it. And heaven is a remote, uh, hazy, sort of a fuzzy idea of some of the remaining fanatics. You don't hear much preached about heaven anymore. People don't talk about going to heaven anymore. I mean, you give a, a person a, a, a nice car and wall-to-wall -wall carpet and a television set and, and a sack of golf clubs, some bowling balls, a job and a paycheck and a little retirement fund. That's about all the heaven he wants. Heaven enough for him. And they say, heaven can wait or just forget about it. But brother, I still believe we've got a wonderful heaven to go to. That's just the home of the soul that's been redeemed. That's all. I want to read some verses that I've read the last two days, yesterday. I want to read them to you. It's the 18th chapter of the book of Matthew. I don't know what it means altogether, but i tell you one thing. If it means even what I think it means, it's sure some serious verses. Verse 18, chapter 18. 18 and 18. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth, shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now that tells me there's going to be something besides earth. That tells me there's going to be an earth and there's going to be a heaven. Well, I'm on the earth. And it tells me that when I leave the earth, I'm going to heaven as a Christian. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now then, I want us to claim something tonight. Now there's more than two or three here. There's a fine band of Christians here. I want us to agree tonight on getting every lost person here saved. Now we must agree on it. Now then I want to read you what he says concerning the importance of being saved. Verse 8 of the same chapter, 18 and verse 8. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off, cut them off, and cast them from thee. Now get it. If your hand or your foot, as important, you've only got two hands and two feet, but he said if they get so offensive that they're going to keep you from making it to heaven, cut them off. That's drastic, isn't it? You remember the boy in Kansas City in the jail, young man in the prison? Cut both his hands off, didn't he? Killed his wife, didn't he? He killed his wife, and he said, I'll cut the hands off that killed her. And he went to a meat saw, didn't he? And sawed them off. Sawed them off. 
He said, those hands, those guilty hands, those malicious, those, those devilish hands kill my companion. I'll saw them off. And he sawed them off, and he has nothing but some old nubs now. I see him every time I go there. You saw him. But Jesus is saying, if your hands are going to keep you from going to heaven, you better go to meet Saul with them. You better saw them off. But you know, there's something sweet. You don't even have to saw your hands off. You can just put your hand in the nail scarred hand and keep your hand. <laughs> and give him your heart. And now he can say, you go use your hands for me. See? Lift the burdens off of precious hearts. Yes, dear friends. But he said it's so important. Oh, that you're not. Listen, let's go a little further. If thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. If thy eye offend thee. Now, the Bible says, now notice, he didn't say, if thy ear offend thee, cut it off. He said, if your eye, the eye can be so offensive. Did you know that? Now, some of you think you know what I'm going to say, don't you? But let me give you what the Bible says. The Bible says there are three things in the world that the devil uses to get everybody's ever gotten. He tried them on Jesus just as soon as he got out of the baptismal pool. Out of the Jordan, he said, okay, meet me out in the wilderness. Here it comes with these three little things right here. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Now, that's all the tools he's got to work with. But he's done a magnanimous job with those three tools. I mean, he's, he's pried into everybody with those three things, except Jesus. And he, he worked on him, but he couldn't do anything about it. And so he said, if thine eye offend thee, Pluck it out and cast it from thee. It's better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Now, I could raise a question and the modernists would refuse to answer their life at me. Reckon what he's talking about when he says hell fire. Do you really suppose that there's a literal hell and that there's fire in hell. Now, dear friends, the old preachers used to be masked that. They just took it for granted. God meant it when he said fire is fire. But now then, in our educated day, and with all of our smart aleck theologians, they said that doesn't mean that at all. And brother, I've got enough conviction left in my soul to believe if it does not mean hell fire, then he doesn't mean heaven when he says heaven. And we've got whole religious groups going across. One of them got a big sign up on the church. They, and, and in the paper, they said, this is a no hell church. And I mean, if they were consistent, they'd put another little line and said, also a no heaven church. I mean, if they were, be honest about it. They took hell out. Why don't they take heaven out? And there's a whole denomination that believes that sin is a hallucination or imagination and is not real or so. Can you imagine that? With the murder and the sin, the filth, and the broken hope, homes and shattered hopes and all, can you imagine there's no sin? And then there's others that say there is no living devil. No devil at all. But the Bible says that he's still going to and fro. And uh, we see his tracks and feel his stinking breath all over this country today. He said, if I offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. Better 
for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell. What is there that you're reading that is offensive to your spiritual life? Throw it away. You don't have to pluck out your eye. Throw away what you've been looking at. I mean, that'd be more sensible. Because I tell you what, I believe a fellow could still pluck out one eye and read a lot that he ought not read with the one he had left. <laughs> and I believe he could pluck out both of them and stumble on to the grave and go to hell. I believe it'd be all right if you just surrender your eyes to Jesus and say, Lord, you look through these eyes. Look through these eyes. Holy Spirit, let these eyes belong to thee. And just look for him. And listen, that's all I've ever said. Some people get the strange notion that I'm against television. I mean, I'm not against television at all. It's a wonderful invention. I'm just sorry the devil got a hold of it. The average person, they don't care. And the reason they don't care, they haven't been reading the word of God. They don't have the compassion of Christ. And they let a whole world go to hell. What does it mean to be lost? What does it mean to be loved? We're just playing church today. And we're not playing church as much as we used to play church. We used to play church at least on Sunday morning, Sunday night. Most people just play it on Sunday morning. And I'm not trying to be sour, but I'm just simply saying we're not dead in earnest about this matter of working with lost people. More prospects than we ever had. Feel whiter than it's ever been. But oh, we haven't given ourselves let me read to you another passage of Scripture found in the 12th chapter of the book of Luke. Then we'll answer these questions the best we can. In Luke chapter 12, verse 4, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that can kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after you've killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. He said, you needn't be afraid of a man because he packs a gun or pulls a pocket knife. Of course, I don't believe that we need to stay too close to him. But I mean, the Lord says, you don't have to be afraid if I tell you to go witness to somebody. And if you were to die in the effort, you needn't be afraid of that fellow. All he can do is just uh, shift you off to heaven a little early. You know, but he said, I'll tell you one thing. You better get doubly afraid of the one that can drop you off into hell. Now, folks, I've read enough scripture tonight to convince any Bible-believing Christian or anybody else that will be reasonable that there is a hell somewhere. There's a hell. We used to talk to old preachers who said, there's a hell to shun. There's a heaven to gain. And so tonight, I want to ask you the question, what does it mean for a man to be lost? I know we've tried to doctor up and decorate, and sin is not as ugly, and therefore people are not lost. I heard a man say the other day, I believe God's going to be pretty lenient with me. I haven't lived for him. My life hasn't counted, but somehow or another, I have a feeling that the Lord is going to be mighty lenient when I go to stand before him. Dear friends, there's only one thing that's going to determine whether I'll stand in peace or not before the Lord, and that's my relationship to Jesus Christ. That's all. That's all. We've tried to smooth over. I have a clipping here, and 
It says, uh, saying grace is urged before viewing TV. In other words, they know it's here to stay. That's what, and everybody's got one just about it. You see, he hadn't got the intestinal fortitude to fight that one-eyed idiot. And so he said, we better coexist with it, but let's pray over it and ask God sanctified. <laughs> and if we'd be just as consistent, I mean, the old beer guzzler could say, now let's pray over this beer. That old liquor drinker say, let's pray over this liquor bottle and it'll be all right. Let's say grace over it. My soul. Used to, the preachers would bust the bottle. They'd bust the, the sin. And they'd say, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean, not anymore. And sometimes it almost gets lonely walking this trail. And yet, every preacher will still admit that when we took a stand against sin, great revival fires were burning. Now then, you'd think that things like these could not be the newspapers licensing, announcing, advertising. This is the record and gives the preacher's name in a Catholic church where two homosexuals were married at a mass. Now that couldn't be 30 or 40 years ago, but you see where we drifted? You see the results of not taking a stand against sin? He said that although he suspected they were homosexuals and knew that they were calling the ceremony a marriage, he could not have refused their request. Pusillanimous, cast for milk toast. I can't afford to refuse their request. During the ceremony, the two men exchanged rings and their families were present. Now, folks, that's horrible. Although he criticized the action, the bishop issued a public statement saying that the two priests had acted in good faith. Now, is that really good faith or is that bad faith? You see, the Bible said that they'll come and they'll call good evil and evil good. And there's a tremendous move on, my brethren, to sanction in religious circles that awful habit that they mentioned in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. When those wicked, ungodly men sought to rape heaven's visitors, it came down there. And they preferred them to the daughters of Lot. And I'll guarantee you, history is repeating itself again. And that which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requires that which is past. And we're bordering, or maybe in the middle of the reprobate minds. We've heard a good deal of preaching about sin, about grace. And about the wages of sin. And for every sin that a person commits in his body, there is a disease that will bring death. Every, just name them. Any of you want to name? You fellas, you can lay, stay with a liquor bottle, but there'll come a time when the doctor will look at you and say cirrhosis of the liver. That's your death. That's your killer right there. That old liver can't work anymore. And you fellas can go ahead and smoke and dip and chew and put that filth in your system. But the Bible says 
The wages of sin is death. And there's your cancer that had come to kill you. And 600 people left their families weeping today as they laid their bodies in the grave. And you put it down. That's because of cigarette cancer. So there's the, the wages of sin haven't gone down any. I mean, if they weren't in heaven and they weren't in hell, I believe we ought to just still want to be clean so we could live longer and stronger and better and make our money count for the Lord. But can you imagine an organization of preachers that have gotten together, so-called, they're not prophets, they're just little old uh, ministers of the people, and they've gotten together to say that we ought to make it acceptable for a man or two men to live in uh, what they call their relationships and still sing in the choir, be a deacon in the church. And if they mean that, then they'll endorse this marriage between these men. And one of the preachers came with a statement. It went in the paper, big words, and said, Why can't a man love a man? But you see, we've lost our vision of God's holiness and righteousness. And therefore, men have gone blind. Their minds have become reprobate, and their minds are, 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 are demented. They cannot retain God or the Bible. They don't read the Bible and pray anymore. And is that day going to come? I said, is the day going to come when we ordain a man as a deacon and say, you must be the husband of one husband? I mean, are we going to hold him to that? I mean, now that's exactly where this filth is going to. And you think it's silly. You just wait, dear friends. America is following England and all the rest of them in her sin. And it'll bring death and destruction completely to our nation. What does it mean to be lost, dear friends? Number one, it means to be without God. I mean, godless. I talked to a man uh, the other day, and I, I was just dealing with him. And I, I believe we ought to be tender with lost people as much as we can. And I was talking with him, and I said, uh, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm not a Christian, but I'm not godless. I mean, I'm not a godless man, he said, and yet he is. He is. If a man is not a saved man, he's without Christ. He's without hope. He's an alien. He's dead. He's drifting with the tide. Down the stream he goes. He's condemned already. Why? He's against Christ. He's against God. He's taking his stand against the one that gives him every breath. That's a lost man for Unless you fought Christ, you'll be against everything that's decent and right. And sometimes people in the pews look at those of us who are preachers to, to seem to get the idea that we, we, we wrote down all these uh, laws and convictions and principles and spiritual policies. Brother, we just fed them in the, found them in the book. Found them in the book. It's amazing at the convictions the Lord gave me immediately after I surrendered to preach. I mean, I, just, I couldn't imagine me having so many convictions. I mean, because I sure didn't want them. I mean, I hadn't planned on them. And the Lord just immediately. And, but the thing I, that I did was after I really gave my heart to the Lord, I believed every preacher that ever preached the truth. I don't ever remember. I didn't argue with one of my professors. 
I didn't argue with any preacher. I never went to a preacher and said, oh, wait a minute now. Do you think that, and I don't quite see, and I don't feel, and I, you know, that's where people talk. I don't feel, and I don't see. Well, you ought to get to where you can feel and see. You may be dead. People dead don't feel nor see. Oh, listen, it's good to be sensitive. And it's good to feel when the Lord's spanking you, when he's pricking you, and when he's touching you. It's good to be able to feel them. Have some emotions for the Lord. Oh, as I watch my congregation sometimes, and I realize that the interest is not what it ought to be on the part of some. You're missing out. What does it mean to be lost? Last of all, it means to spend an eternity away from the Lord. I mean, never get to be around God's people. You think about that. You will never have to put up with us after we go to heaven. I mean, there won't be any saved people in hell. There won't be anything there but lost people. And if you ever thought about going to hell and spending an eternity with every sinner that ever lived, more than likely, you could be living next door in hell to Adolf Hitler. Maybe Kaiser Bill. I mean, all the criminals that ever lived. You think of it. You think of the cursing and the profanity and the filth and the ungodliness and the, and the wicked natures of the men that are going to be there. You think of that. I mean, they couldn't get along with each other. And then to think what they're going, and there's no way to get out of it. You say, preach, I don't believe it. Well, you'll have to talk to God about that. I mean, I didn't make it that way. Fact is, I didn't even make the electric chair, but they tell me they got one. Fact is, I sat in it one day. I didn't put all my weight on it, but I mean, I just sat down briefly in the electric chair. Now I had some strange imaginations and emotions as I sat there. But dear friends, they tell me, and I guess we've got reason to be because the paper said so, that people literally sit down in there and they strap their legs and they shave their head and, and they put their arms in their hands and somebody goes back there and turns the switch and those bones begin to break and the body turns black. Brother, listen to me. They say that thing's real. Hard for me to believe that. The doctors tell me that there's such a thing as a malignant cancer, and they call it terminal. And they say this cancer is going to eat and eat and eat and eat until you're dead. Isn't that a horrible thought? And yet, I guess it's so. I've been in the hospital and watched them die. Oh, I saw my old buddy not long ago. I was just leaving town. And they said, Brother Olaf, one of the secretaries said, don't you think you ought to go by? They called him and said he was seriously ill. Listen, I've been with that man in Corpus Christi, Texas. Many times I'd prayed with him. I'd picked him up. I'd gone places with him. I'd witnessed to him. I'm ashamed that I didn't get further with him except he made a profession of faith. But so far as those old cigarettes, he just never did. I went over there and there was under oxygen tent. And he looked up at me as pitiful as a little child. I can see him now. He tried to smile. And it scared me almost because I knew he was dying. In just a few minutes, he was out in eternity. And the old tobacco interest had finally done their damage and killed him. And killed him. And if our preachers would start warning their people and preach on this business, not from the standpoint of what it does for you physically or financially, but it ruins your witness and testimony and keeps you from being a clean Christian and a good soul winner. 
think about going to hell and never getting out. I'm working with some men in the penitentiary now. They've been in a long time, 30 years, 32 years. But all the hope that they have. Man, alive. listen, y'all read the letters. They said, Brother Olaf, I got another put off, but said, I believe this will be my last one. I'll come out next year. Get ready for me. I'm coming. <laughs> some of them said, listen, I'm staying with you the rest of my life. I'm going to, I said, why, since I, I've been, I've been writing some of them for many years. And they said, but you know what they do? Listen, they live on the hope of the next hearing. Well, they're going to review their case again. They're going to review their, listen, I, I heard about the man had been, had killed two men, you know. The man came in, killed two men. They gave him an electric chair and then gave him finally life. And Mr. Ross Sterling, the governor of Texas, did. And then, hey, he got inside and he hated everybody and he killed five more. And made seven. He killed seven. They put him in solitary for 14 years, locked him up in a little cell. All he could do just lay down on an old cold concrete floor. 14 years. Somebody eased him a Bible in there and said he began to read the Bible. Mm, said he read that old book and said his attitude began to change and said, he was different and said, finally, he said, the parole board said, we want to review his case. This old book had plowed into his soul, made furrows down through his heart, and the love of God had begun to creep out, and he began to behave himself. He said he took him out there and he followed like a little dog. He said he was so weak and pale. And I didn't make him work. I didn't even let him have a hoe or nothing. Said, you just go along with me, son. Been in solitaire 14 years by himself. My, listen, wasn't very long. You hear me, wasn't very long. He had a prayer meeting on Wednesday night and had a Sunday school class on Sunday morning, teaching the word of God. He'd been chewing the word up for 14 years in a private cell. Jesus got in that little old cell with him, saved him from his sin. Listen, I'll just make a long story short. Parole board um, reviewed his case and gave him put-offs, and finally they gave him a clear signal, said you can get out, and the governor wouldn't sign it, and finally the governor turned him out and said he headed for the Indian reservations to tell the story of Christ, and he's still preaching today. You've got to give him your mind. You've got to do some thinking. Let Jesus come in. What does it mean to be saved? You know, I guess that's about as difficult, isn't it? Except when you get saved, you can feel more than you can tell. I heard one fellow on the radio one day, and he hadn't been off to college, and maybe that was to his advantage, I don't know, but he was having him a time. He really was. I'm telling you, he didn't know a verb from an adverb or a noun from a pronoun or a split infinitive from... Uh, an adjective, but I'll guarantee you one thing. He got so happy, he was tearing that studio up. <laughs> he was having a time. And he said, finally, he just kind of run out. Well, he said, I tell you, it's just better felt than tell. Better felt than tell. He said, I can feel it and I can't tell you. And he run out of words. Praise God, I still believe. You know, preachers used to believe in an old-fashioned heartfelt religion. You remember that? Preacher get up. They never would preach revival. They say, I'm going to preach tomorrow night on a heartfelt religion. And now then, if they preach anything, it's on a head felt religion. Yeah. Just kind of get smart, you know. 
and educated. And I still preach every once in a while on the plagues in the head. That's the text. <laughs> plagues in the head. Head religion never gets to the heart. Like my Jesus said, love him with all your heart. Then he said, you're to love your neighbor. What if I said, keep your heart with all diligence instead of your head? Everybody's busy trying to keep their head, and most of them done lost it. Did you know if you don't get your heart fixed, you lose your head? John, he lost his head, but didn't lose his heart. And just like the preacher said, uh, and I like that, that's uh, he, he said, uh, when his head rolled off, I don't mind people calling my name when they say about his head rolling off. His head rolled off, but his heart rolled on. Thank you for joining us today on the Family Altar Program with Lester Roloff. You may listen to the preaching and the special music of the Family Altar Program 24 hours a day when you visit our ministry website, roloff.org. We love hearing from our listeners. If this broadcast has been a blessing to you, please write to us at Roloff Evangelistic Enterprises, P.O. Box 100, Fort Thomas, Arizona, 85536. Again, that's Roloff Evangelistic Enterprises, P.O. Box 100, Fort Thomas, Arizona, 85536. This broadcast is made possible by the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. Thank you for partnering with us, and remember that Christ is the answer.